Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Doctor Who remains one of the longest-running series on television and currently holds the title of the longest-running science fiction series in history. It has been running since 23rd of November 1963 and has given audiences some of the best and, let's face it, worst villains of all time. From the genocidal Daleks to the spine-chilling weeping angels, the Doctor has come up against it all, and with a hero as captivating and brilliant as the Doctor, the villains need to meet the same standard, but sometimes this isn't always the case. This list will not only look at the worst Doctor Who villains that should never return, but also the villains that, while perfect and brilliant in their own right, have either been overused or have left such an impression already that bringing them back would be almost detrimental to their memory. I've got one in mind already. My name is Rich, welcome to Who Culture, and these are 10 Doctor Who villains who should never return. Number 10. The Absorbaloff Yep, you all saw this one coming, didn't you? The Absorbaloff was a wild card in Doctor Who's pantheon of monsters and villains. Only appearing in Love and Monsters, the monster was actually designed by a young fan as part of a competition run by Blue Peter. Viewers were invited to create their own Doctor Who monster and send them in, with the winner's design being used in the actual show. Played by Peter Kay, the Absorbaloff's key characteristic was that it literally absorbed its victims into its body, but the victims themselves were fully conscious and aware, but were incapable of escaping. Scary right? Well, it would have been if Peter Kay's human character wasn't a million times more menacing than the big green blob running at people through the middle of wherever, but it also didn't help the entire episode's tone was just a little bit all over the place. We've had some quirky monsters in Doctor Who, but seeing Peter Kay run around in a big green fat suit is something we definitely don't need to see again. Number 9. The Slitheen First seen in Aliens of London during the revival series of Doctor Who, the Slitheen were a family of galactic criminals who sought to take over the Earth so they could sell it to the highest bidder. Their towering, bloated, big eyes and sharp, clawed design could have been seen as quite a triumph, and also the fact they wore human skins as a suit was pretty nightmarish, but overall the Slitheen were kind of lacking. There were, however, some moments that showed some potential, particularly the highly overlooked episode Boomtown from Series 1. It focused more on the character and the motivations of a single Slitheen, not relying on the sinister plots, fart jokes, and body horror, almost. But these few pros are outweighed by the big cons, those mainly being the fart noises and the sort of silly approach to what could have been a really serious episode set within Downing Street. 
They only appeared predominantly in Series 1 of Doctor Who, bar a few cameos, but they did return in the Sarah Jane Adventures, which itself has an even smaller budget, so yeah, it's safe to say they weren't done any favours. I think it's safe to say that most Whovians will agree that we don't want to see any other Rexacoracophalopatorians anytime soon. Number 8. Sim Shah Simshar, or Tim Shaw, was first introduced in The Woman Who Fell to Earth, and though as a Stenza warrior he's pretty creepy, he wears teeth on his face, get out, he was also kind of flat as a villain. Tasked with travelling to Earth to claim a human trophy, this being some random bloke called Carl Wright, again, the idea is quite creepy, and the execution of this weird guy in the street with, you know, this bloke throwing a kebab at him was still quite creepy, but... That was kind of it. And as much as he got his comeuppance, having been latched with a DNA bomb and sent through a portal to God knows where, we were hoping that would be it. But no, come the end of the series and the Battle of Ranskor Avkolos, here he is again, all toothy-faced and all. No, it wasn't exciting to see him come back, and yes, we saw it from a mile off since we didn't overtly see Tim Shaw die, but I guess we all hoped that we would have. It was made pretty clear that Tim Shaw, or at least the Stenza race, would become a recurring villain for Doctor 13 beyond Series 11, but I think the reception to Tim Shaw himself really nailed down the fact that no, Chris, we don't want to see him again. Number 7. The Family The Family of Blood were a group of malevolent aliens who had chased the Doctor, played by David Tennant at the time, and his companion Martha through time and space, seeking the Time Lord's life force in a quest for immortality. And in order to escape them, the Doctor was forced to turn himself human using a chameleon arch in the TARDIS, disguising himself as John Smith, who worked at a boys' school in England in 1913. Though we never see the family in their true form, they possess local villagers, and it's all in these performances by those actors that bring these terrifying creatures to life. And whilst they may appear human, just with that sort of weird aura of creepiness, they really are terrifying. It's their facial expressions and mannerisms that make them so disturbing. After a terrific two-part episode, the Doctor puts them away for good, dropping the mother into a dying star, wrapping the father in chains, trapping the girl in a mirror, and turning son of mine into a scarecrow. Ugh. But unlike the other enemies on this list thus far, we don't want to see these guys again because they were so good. They don't need to come back. Sometimes a perfect enemy should be left well enough alone, and it's safe to say I'm going to be repeating that throughout the course of this list. Number 6. The Great Intelligence the Great Intelligence was a mysterious, formless being that supposedly predated the universe and actually first appeared back in 1967 alongside Patrick Troughton's second Doctor. He described it as a sort of formless, shapeless thing floating about in space like a cloud of mist, only with a mind and a will. The Great Intelligence then came back in Series 7, first appearing in the Christmas special The Snowmen that saw Ian McKellen performing the voice of a threatening snow globe, and then again very briefly at the end of The Bells of St. John, this time using the face of potential Doctor in the past, Richard E. Grant. It wasn't until the end of the season, the name of the Doctor, where the Great Intelligence was properly given the spotlight. In the episode, the Great Intelligence captures the Doctor's allies and lures him to the site of his grave on Trenzalor. While being played by veteran actors like Ian McKellen and Richard E. Grant, it wasn't much to make this villain truly interesting, he just sort of hates the Doctor. After being split up in the Doctor's timeline by Clara, we don't really know when we'll see the Great Intelligence again, or whether we even want to. The character could have been as big of a recurring threat like the Master to the Doctor, but since the character was left kinda thin, we're not really going to miss him, and that's a shame. Number 5. The Weeping Angels Yep, for me, this is the big one. They were introduced back in the 10th episode of Series 3, Blink, which is arguably one of the best episodes of Doctor Who ever made. I'm sure you're probably all sick to death of hearing us on the channel say that, but let's face it, Blink is pretty perfect. 
The Weeping Angels were conceptually genius. The idea that the seemingly ordinary everyday statues were actually monsters that could only move when unseen was a beautifully realised idea that worked well for a show that would have a limited budget for most of its life. Back in the Russell T Davies era, Stephen Moffat was doing knockout after knockout every series, but when he took over as the showrunner, The Weeping Angels were brought back again, being as they were one of his greatest creations, but unfortunately they did not meet the mark on either time they returned. Flesh and Stone and the Time of Angels removed that kind of mystery that made the Weeping Angels so scary back in Blink. We got to see them move and also kind of talk. And the less said about the Angels take Manhattan, the better. The Statue of Liberty? Really? They do keep cropping up now and again like in The Time of the Doctor and The End of Class, but really they should have stayed in Blink. This is a hill I will always be dying on for the rest of my goddamn life. Weeping Angels, you need to stay dead. Please. Number 4. The Silence The Silence were first introduced in The Impossible Astronaut, the season opener for Matt Smith's second outing as the Doctor. Tasters of their presence within the series arc had been dropped from the beginning of Matt Smith's first series, with the infamous line, Silence will fall, being a recurring theme that never came to fruition until the second season. The Silence were humanoid aliens dressed like men and black agents that had the unique ability to make someone forget them entirely the moment they looked away. Using this ability, the Silence had infiltrated human society throughout history and through pervasive influence had steered humanity in the direction that best suited them. That was until the Doctor had stopped them, of course. Both menacing in appearance and practice, the Silence became the primary seasonal villain with the single goal of ending the Doctor. Their true origins were later revealed in Matt Smith's final episode, The Time of the Doctor, where it was detailed the Silence were originally genetically designed priests, members of the papal mainframe who, using their ability, were able to take confessions from people who would immediately forget about the fact they just did. By the end of Matt Smith's run, the story of the silence had come full circle with no more story to tell, so if they were brought back again in any kind of way, it would almost detract from what we'd had for a couple of seasons. Unless they have been in every series since and we just… don't… remember. Number 3. The Cybermen the Cybermen have been a classic Who villain since their first appearance back in 1966 in The Tenth Planet. Since the 2005 reboot, the Cybermen have been back multiple times in multiple guises and have always given the Doctor a run for their money. Under Russell T Davies, the Cybermen were brought back in an interesting parallel Earth creation that eventually came over to our universe to wreak havoc, as you expect them to. Returning again and again as the series progressed, they were given less and less sort of backstory to the Cybermen we were seeing, they were just sort of there. As time has gone on, the writers and showrunners have tried to find new and interesting ways of developing the Cybermen further with questionable results. The turning point was in Series 7, Nightmare in Silver, where the Cybermen were given a new makeover and additional abilities, including some kind of technology that slowed down time, thereby allowing them to move at great speed, which started to undermine the unstoppable, bulletproof tank-like nature of these villains. They then came back with a new look in Series 8's Dark Water and Death in Heaven, a new look in World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls, and then again an Ascension of the Cybermen and the Timeless Children. With the Cybermen normally being a strong villain to bring in every so often, they've been relegated to a supporting act, playing second fiddle to the Master at the end of Series 12. And really, with the exception of the lone Cyberman, none of them have really stuck the landing of their justification within the Hooniverse. Maybe this isn't one we should completely bin off entirely, but I feel like the Cybermen need a bit of a break. In the same way that Daleks were given a break and came back in Resolution, all guns blazing, and actually quite positively, in my opinion, I stand by it, Resolution was good. Number 2. Davros 
Without a doubt, Davros is one of the greatest Doctor Who villains that has ever graced the show. Creator of the Dalek race, Davros was originally created for 1975's Genesis of the Daleks, and since his first appearance, he has featured across the Whovian canon and has been played by four actors. His return in 2008 was played incredibly by Julian Bleach, and came back again in The Magician's Apprentice and Witches Familiar at the beginning of Series 9. Davros as a character has never really gone overly downhill. His appearance in Series 9 proves to be incredible for Peter Capaldi as the pair duologue off each other and even share a laugh. But Davros of course had some more sinister motives and tricked the Doctor into regenerating himself, but also it backfiring with the goop downstairs all coming back to life and killing the actual living Daleks. It sounds weird, it was weird, but it was really good to watch. The Doctor goes back and saves the young Davros he almost kills in the cliffhanger for The Magician's Apprentice, but apparently saving Davros here may not even change the timeline in which he creates the Daleks, etc, etc. It feels like a way to wrap up Davros' story arc. Maybe we don't need to see Davros again for another couple of years. I wouldn't say we get rid of him entirely, but we should at least give him a bit of a holiday. And number one, The Master. The Doctor has had many enemies over the years, but the Master towers above them all. The renegade Time Lord and lover of Chaos has served as both the Doctor's friend and enemy across his many portrayals, and has been played by an impressive 12 actors since their first appearance in 1971's The Terror of the Autons. They are the Moriarty to the Doctor's Sherlock, and the BBC should really learn to let go. The two-part finale of Series 10, World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls, was almost the perfect ending for the Master. The phenomenal Michelle Gomez's Missy faces off against her previous incarnation, John Sim's Master, in which they both kill each other, basically. John Sim regenerates into Missy, supposedly, and Missy, supposedly, dies. And then a couple of years later, in Series 12 Spyfall, the Master was back again, this time played by Sasha Dwan. Now, I will be clear, I have nothing against Sasha Dwan's Master. If you've been watching Ups and Downs, you will know that I'm a huge fan of this portrayal. We just don't know whether he comes after or before Michelle Gomez's Missy. And I think I speak for pretty much every Whovian here when I say that I really hope he comes before. The Master has been pretty prominent since his return in Series 3 of Doctor Who's reboots, and similar to Davros, similar to the Cybermen, they really do need a bit of a break. The character itself is always a treat because they could go any direction with it and know that it kind of would work. Missy becoming the Doctor's friend was something that was so loved and that's why the Master is on this list. We hope that the events of Series 12 haven't completely undone Michelle Gomez's redemption arc. If it has, then that's a real shame for the character. After the events of Series 12, we have no idea whether Sasha Dwan's Master, or even the Master at all, will be coming back. Maybe if the writers do cement the idea that Michelle Gomez came after Sasha Dwan, then we do have that great ending at the end of The Doctor Falls, and that could maybe where we put a big full stop at the end of the Master's story. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs> 